well if you want to be in there, but that's available to anybody that would desire that. If you have your Bibles with you, could you please turn to John chapter 18. John 18. We finished today this series we've been in now for several weeks, and it's this I Am series, and it all comes to a head here with this particular passage. You know, we've had all of these I Am statements. You know, whether it be He's the door, He's the good shepherd, He's the way, the truth, and the life, He's the vine. We've talked about all of these different things, but today He just simply says, I Am. Am. There's nothing else that goes with that. It's just it can stand alone, this kind of statement that he makes, and I just trust you're going to appreciate this message today. But before we begin and read from God's Word, we're just going to pray together and ask that the Lord would settle our hearts to receive what it is that he wants to say to us today. So will you pray with me right now? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the ministry that's happening right now in this service. And Lord, I just pray that we would all settle our hearts to receive from your word today. Lord, if there's distractions, if there's concerns and burdens that maybe are on our hearts at this time, I just ask that your spirit would come and settle our hearts to just receive from you in the quietness of this place, in the quietness of wherever people might be watching on the live stream. Help us to tune in to you. Speak into our hearts today. Help us to receive from your hand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, John 18, starting in verse 1. So after saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples, and he entered a grove of olive trees. Now Judas, the betrayer, knew this place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now with blazing torches, blazing torches and lanterns and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Now Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for? he asked. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And as Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. Now once more he asked them, who are you looking for? And again they replied, Jesus the Nazarene. I told you that I am he. And since I am the one that you want, let these others, he's referring to the disciples that are with him, let these others go. And he did this to fulfill his own statement, I did not lose a single one of those that you've given to me. That was a previous chapter in John 17 when he's praying to the Father. He says that very thing as he's praying, not to lose any of them. And here it's even fulfilled in these moments when they're coming to arrest him. Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus. Now, he's probably aiming for his head, but keep in mind this guy's a fisherman, and so he completely misses but gets the ear in the process of that. 
And this guy's name was Malchus. He's the high priest's slave. But Jesus then says to Peter, Put your sword back in its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? So the soldiers, their commanding officer, and the temple guards, they arrested Jesus and they tied him up. It's a powerful moment that takes place here when Jesus says this, I am he, and it's given us that I am he in our English translation because it's a little more readable for us, but actually what Jesus says in the original language is just simply, I am. So when they say they're looking for Jesus the Nazarene and Jesus, he had stepped forward, remember, and he says, I am. And back they all fall. Now, it's not just a crowd of like eight to ten people there to arrest Jesus. There are hundreds in this crowd to arrest him. Can you imagine that, this domino effect? The power in the name. It's amazing. So in Exodus 3, I want to look there to understand the significance of what Jesus is trying to say when he makes this kind of statement. Because there's kind of been this reoccurring theme through this series. Jesus is not just a teacher. He's not just a rabbi. He is God. And I said there's statistics out there that show there's evangelicals who don't see it that way. And it's like, well, what Bible are you reading? Because God clearly, clearly says he's, he's God. That's what Jesus tells us. I'm God. I am a powerful statement there. Let's look at Exodus 3. Maybe you've heard of Moses. You've heard of the burning bush. We're going back to this particular story because I think it intensifies what's going on here in the garden when Jesus is arrested. The Bible says one day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock far into the wilderness and he came to Sinai, the mountain of God. Where was he? He was at Sinai. Remember that. I also want to point something out here before we continue to read through this. You'll notice there's a word here, and it's Lord. And notice something about this in your Bibles. It should be all capitalized when you see it here in this passage. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Not just capital L. The whole thing is capitalized. Okay, Hang on to that as we continue reading through this passage. So verse 2, there's an angel of the Lord, should be all caps in your Bibles. Angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. And though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't this bush burning up? I must go see this. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen 
the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God. You think of this tall order that's just been asked. He's like, you want me to do what? I mean, do you realize how big of a deal Pharaoh is? You just want me to walk in and say, let him go. You want me to do that? So he says in verse 11, in his protest to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Well, really, Moses, you're not a big deal. It's who's going with you. Don't ever forget that. God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I'm the one who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. Where are they? They're at Sinai. Can you think of a moment in the history of Israel that's kind of big at Mount Sinai? Moses goes to the top of Mount Sinai and he receives the Ten Commandments for the people of Israel. This is going to come full circle and it's because God is faithful and he keeps his promises. And he tells them, you're going to come back here. That's, that's a proof to you that I'm true to my word. I'm going to meet you again at this very place. And circumstances are going to be a little different when we meet again. So Moses, he protested again, as if the Lord's presence isn't enough. He says, if I go to the people of Israel and I tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they're going to ask me, well, what's his name? Then what should I tell them? And then God replies to Moses, I am who I am. Makes you think of Popeye. I am what I am. Way bigger than Popeye, though. You know, he's pretty strong when he eats his spinach. But God's the real deal all the way through. And he says, I am who I am. I am who I am. And say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. That's all you got to say, Moses, and things will fall into place under my direction. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. And he says, this is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. So can you see the significance now when Jesus says, I am. Look at what happened in history. For him to say something like that, we're referencing the fact that he is God. And there is a power, there's a significance, there's something special about that name. And I want to break this down a little bit. So understanding that I am and Yahweh, 
go together, I want to break this down a little bit. First, understand that Yahweh is God's proper name. It's His proper name. Strictly speaking, it's the only proper name for God. I know there's a variety of names that we give God, but this is the, this is the big one right here. This is the big one. It's reserved exclusively as a name for God. The name Yahweh refers to God's self-existence. It's a reflection of His being, and He is the only self-existent, self-sufficient being. Only God has life in and of Himself. He's eternal. And when Jesus says, I am, He is telling them, I am self-existent because I'm God. Now, the English language doesn't have an exact translation for the word Yahweh. So in our Old Testament, we see it written as Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Something I hope you do when you read the Old Testament now is, is look to see if that's all caps. And when you see it as all caps, think of it like this. We're talking about Yahweh here. We're using that high, high name that's given to him. In Jewish tradition, Yahweh is too sacred to utter out loud. And so over the time, Jews started to substitute the word Adonai in its place. Or my Lord, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, but understand how significant this name is, and it's interchangeable, Yahweh and I am. So what is Jesus saying when he said, I am? He's saying, I'm God. And with this being the last message of this series, it's like an exclamation point on all of these I am statements. I am God. Another thing to know about this name Yahweh and I am is it's deeply personal. It's personal. Yahweh is only used in the Bible when the author is talking about God's personal relationship with His people. I think that's very interesting. The fact that God introduces Himself to us as Yahweh tells us that His first priority in relating to us is making sure that we know He's an intensely personal God. He is so personal and He's seeking to have a relationship with people. His name tells us this. And Yahweh is also His covenant-keeping name. And understand that this new covenant that Jesus was going to bring and usher into the world is this new covenant that is given by His blood. And this new covenant is so that we can have a relationship with God. I'll go back to the garden here for a moment where Peter misses and hits the ear. Okay, We talk about how personal... God is in that he, he, he addresses Peter in that situation. He also addresses Malchus, this guy who just got his ear chopped off. What does Jesus do? He touches the guy's ear and it's healed. Jesus is very personal to Malchus, this guy who's there to arrest him. He's also personal to the disciples. He had just prayed, Lord, protect these disciples. And then when, when the, 
crowd comes to arrest him, he says, let these other ones, let them, let them go. He's personal to the disciples. And in this moment, understand, Jesus is very personal with all of humanity and what this moment means for history. When they came to get Jesus, in verse 4, what does it say he does? He steps forward. I know what you're here to do. He steps forward. This is a pretty big moment that's personal for all of humanity. Matthew 26, a cross-reference to this particular passage, Jesus tells Peter, put your sword away. He says, those who use the sword will die by the sword. And then he says, don't you realize that I could ask my Father for thousands of angels to protect us, and he would send them instantly. Jesus is saying, I've got all of this power, and you're trying to to attack with this sword, you understand that in a moment I could change this situation and I don't have to go through with this. But because Jesus is so personal and desiring that relationship with humanity, he steps forward. Do what you've come to do. In verses 11 and 12 in John 18, he says, Shall I not drink? of the cup of suffering that the Father has given me. This is my assignment. To restore humanity. That's how personal Yahweh is. So the soldiers, their commanding officer and the temple guards, they arrested him and they tied him up. In a moment he could call all this power and glory. He could call him right into the situation. Why didn't he? Because his sacrifice has big, big implications for humanity moving forward. My last point today is that the name Yahweh is so powerful. Yahweh is so powerful. He's with his disciples and this crowd of people come and he says, I am, and they all fall. You imagine being a crowd of people and that goes down? We talked about that in Sunday school today. Imagine being the last one in the crowd in the very back and you just see this wave coming at you. Oh. The power in his name. And Moses is going, okay, Lord, I can't do this. I'm not qualified. I don't know what I'm going to say or who sent me all that stuff. And he just says, just say my name. And I'll move the circumstance. Do you understand this, Moses? The power in his name. Tell him I am sent you. There's many names for God. Elohim, God the creator, mighty and strong. Elohim, the everlasting God. Elroy-E, God who sees. When he was talking to Moses, he said, I've seen the injustice on the Israelites, and I'm here to do something about it. Isn't it comforting to know that God sees your circumstance? He sees your situation. 
Not only does he see it, but he's El Gibor, he's mighty God. He's El Shaddai, he's God Almighty, he's El Elyon, he's most high. Most high. You can't get any higher. It's him. Adonai, he is the Lord. That is this name the Jews used because they couldn't speak out that powerful name of Yahweh. I am. And Jesus is claiming that. And in Philippians chapter 2, the Bible says, God exalted Jesus to the highest place, and he gave him the name that is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me break down to you every knee. Every knee. This includes the angels in heaven. This includes the spirits of the redeemed who are in heaven right now. This includes the obedient believers who are here on this earth. It also, though, includes the disobedient rebels who are on the earth. And lost humanity that's currently suffering in hell. And it also includes all the demonic forces that oppose his very name. Every knee one day is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess and acknowledge that he is Lord. And this is going to take place whether it's willingly with a great blessing upon your life or it's unwillingly with great pain and agony. Every knee is going to bow. Every knee. Your knee someday is going to bow to Jesus, whether willingly or unwillingly. The Bible flat out says that. Putting this message together, there's a song that I felt led to sit on a little bit for us here in this place today. And perhaps you've heard it before, but it's, there's something about that name. And we're going to sing that. And, you know, there's a variety of situations in this room and for those listening online. Variety of circumstances, things we're walking through. But understand that at the mention of the name of Jesus, those things change in an instant. You know, the angels can come and help him out in an instant. But at the name of Jesus, he can absolutely calm a storm as Lance read at the very beginning of this service. Whatever storm, whatever waves going on, the name of Jesus does something. And if you've ever heard this song, there's a part where Gloria Gaither speaks out about the power of the name of Jesus. We're going to sing through this one time, and then I'm going to read to you this part that she put together for this song. And let's just worship together the power of the name of Jesus. So powerful. Yahweh, I am, it's Jesus. Amen? Will you sing with me here? There's something about that name. Jesus, 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 there's just something about 
Jesus. The mere mention of his name can calm the storm, can heal the broken, and raise the dead. And at the name of Jesus, you see sin-hardened men melted, and derelicts transformed, and the lights of hope put in the eyes of a hopeless child. And at the name of Jesus, hatred and bitterness are turned to love and forgiveness, and arguments cease. You can hear a mother softly breathe his name at the bedside of a child delirious with a fever. And you can watch that little boy grow quiet and the fevered brow cool. Go to the bedside of a dying saint and their bodies racked with pain. And in those final fleeting seconds, taking the last ounce of ebbing strength to whisper the earth's sweetest name, Jesus. Emperors have tried to destroy it. Philosophies have tried to stamp it out. And tyrants have tried to wash it from the face of the earth with the very blood of those who claimed it. Yet it still stands. And there shall be that final day when every voice that has ever uttered a sound, every voice of Adam's race shall raise in one great mighty chorus to proclaim the name of Jesus. For in that day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So you see, it was not mere chance that caused the angel one night long ago to say to a virgin maiden, His name shall be called Jesus. Jesus. There's something about that name. There's something about his name. Let's sing that again. Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. Master. with me right now Yahweh we call upon you God we thank you that you're so personal and so powerful you desire a relationship 
with humanity. God, I mentioned that there's a coming a day when every knee's going to bow. But perhaps right now, there are knees that are not bowing to you. But there's something about your name today that's causing knees to bend. And if there's someone listening right now that would desire to put you in your rightful place in their life and come and sit on the throne of their heart, if you desire Jesus in your life, I want to lead you in this prayer to receive him. Just pray with me in your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, today I want to receive you in my life. Knowing that I'm a sinner and that my sin separates me from you, I ask for forgiveness. I ask that you would cleanse me, make me new. Give my life great purpose and meaning. Fill my life with your presence and help me to live for you. As I call on the name of Jesus, I believe that you are my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for this gift of salvation that I receive today by grace through faith. Thank you for saving me. Father, for the rest of us, maybe we didn't pray that prayer. We've received you before in our life, and we're walking with you, but, you know, sometimes circumstances still come to our doorstep. Lord, I just simply ask that you'd speak your powerful name into these circumstances. Lord, come and meet with us. Move upon each and every heart and every home. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.